Hi, this is Kim popping in with an editor's note just to let you know that there is a discussion of the Columbine tragedy later on in the episode. So if that's something that's going to be triggering for you, you might want to skip this one. Uh, and most of the information that I got came from the Fundy Fridays video called The Martyrs of Columbine. And I highly recommend that if you want to learn more. Welcome back to Eden's Apple Podcast. My name is Val, and I'm joined by Kim, or the Tumbleweed Witch. And you can find us also on Instagram at Eden's Apple Podcasts. Indeed. So, today we're going to talk about Esther. Do you have any, like, what do, what do they say about Esther in the Mormon church? I, for, you know, I didn't do any pre-research on Esther, so I'm trying to remember, I'm, the first thing that comes to mind is, like, um, Esther's in the science, but not Esther in the Bible, so you might have to fill me in. Well, Esther in the Bible, uh, Esther and Ruth are the two women who have books of the Bible named after them. They're the only two books of the Bible named after women. And Esther was the Jewish queen of a Persian king named Ahasuerus. So the king Ahasuerus wants a new wife because he, his current wife named Vashti refuses to obey him. He basically is having a party and he calls for his wife to come basically show off her body to him and all his buddies and she says no and so he divorces her and he's looking for a new queen esther is a jewish woman he's, she has a cousin named mordecai and he's like her guardian okay so ahasuerus decides to have a beauty pageant to choose his new wife and esther is very beautiful so Mordecai tells her to go put her name in the hat and try her best to win this beauty pageant so she can marry the king. So there's like a whole thing where all of the women are taken care of by eunuchs and they're given beauty treatments and stuff like that. And then they're all like presented to the king and the king chooses Esther as the most beautiful woman and she becomes his queen. So then... Mordecai, on his own, offends the king's chief advisor, Haman. Then Haman gets permission from the king to kill all of the Jews in retaliation. Oh my god. So then Mordecai tells Esther, look, you need to save the Jewish people. You need to go talk to the king and get him to change his mind to do that. And then she's like, if I'm not allowed to go before the king unless he calls for me, if I go to him and he doesn't extend his scepter to me, then I could be killed for approaching him without having been called for. And then Mordecai uh, uh, says something along the lines of, like, maybe God put you in this position for such a time as this. And it's like, oh, I don't know about God, Mordecai. It seems like you kind of maneuvered her into a political position for your own advantage. So she agrees. She goes before the king and asks him to come to three dinners with Haman. 
So then Haman and the king and Esther have their first dinner and Haman's like, oh, sweet. Like the king, I've got, I've got favor with the new queen. This is going to be good for me. It's going to be politically advantageous. Then they have the second banquet or dinner. And then on the third dinner that they have, Esther tells the king, so I'm a Jew and you've given this order, uh, which Haman paid him 30 shekels of silver to get the right to kill all of the Jews. So Esther's like, <laughs> so Esther's like, hey, I'm Jewish. I'm a, I'm a member of these people that you've sold to be murdered by Haman. The king is upset because he feels like he's been tricked. He leaves. He goes to like contemplate. And then Haman falls upon Esther, begging her to have mercy on him. The king comes back and he finds Haman, like, on top of Esther. Haman had been building a massive gallows from which to hang Mordecai. The king is like, okay, uh, we're, we're going to hang you on it now. Mordecai had also, on his own time, alerted the king to a plot that had been happening to assassinate him. The king asks Haman, like, how should I honor a man that I really care for? And Haman thinks he's talking about him, and he's like, oh, you should, like, have him ride through the town on your horse and you're in your finest clothes and tell everybody how great he is. And then the king is like, cool, go do that for Mordecai. Uh, <laughs> so, so there's that. Anyway, they have... They're going to have Haman hanged on this gallows that he built for Mordecai. And then Esther asks the king to rescind the order. And he says, well, I can't rescind a royal order. So the the guards are still going to go attack the Jews. Uh, Esther asks him to issue a counter order saying that the Jews are allowed to kill their attackers. What? So... They set a the set date for when this is going to happen is in the Jewish culture called uh, Purim, I believe. And so on Purim, the Jews kill all of the people attacking them. And Esther is like, oh, that went so well. Can we have another day to just kill people? And the oh, king's yeah. like, sure. So then there's like another day that they say, we're just going to kill people that we don't like i guess i don't fucking know it's very strange like is this just <laughs> something that i just can't fathom in my mind because it's it's so old and like archaic like all of this is so it's so brutal and as far as like whether or not it's historical probably not no there's no there's no records of esther really although there is a tomb that persian jewish people venerate her at that is said to be the tomb of queen esther but the persian royal families at that time in history we're very big on, like, keeping the bloodline pure. So they oh. usually intermarried amongst themselves. It would be really weird for one of them to marry, like, some random girl who won a beauty pageant. So it is, it's just, it's really weird. It's like, first of all, the king can do whatever the fuck he wants. Like, he can change his mind. 
the idea that they have to retaliate instead of just being like, hey, don't kill us is weird. And then the, yeah. the fact that Esther's like, oh, we'd like another day where we're allowed to kill people. And then the Bible specifically mentions that the Jewish people don't take any of the stuff that belonged to the murdered people, which seems to be something they're saying is morally good, but it's like, oh, what the fuck? But the fuck about all of it? Them. <laughs> that is, <laughs> I'm so bamboozled by this whole story. <laughs> like, first of all, the like, like start at the beginning. <laughs> let's let's reel it back <laughs> to what seemed awful at first before we get to like what was super awful at the end. Because like, it's bonkers the yeah, whole way through. It's super bonkers the whole way through. So like the whole idea that like oh, you wouldn't take your clothes off for my friends. I'm going to murder you and go find some virgins to gather up so that I can do a beauty Pixel. pageant to marry someone else. Who's pretty. Let's make that clear. Look, she just has to be pretty. She just has to be pretty. There has to be no other like qualifying factors. Just whoever's hot and willing to take off their clothes for my friends, apparently. So <laughs> I don't know if she was specifically ordered to take off her clothes like, they're just like, hey, you have to come show, you have to walk around and let my friends marvel at your beauty. I don't know if it's naked or not, but, like, still, what the fuck? What, like, what woman is like, sure, I'll come parade myself around for the entertainment of you and your drunken friends. It just seems weird that he'd be so into showing off his lady. Really weird. And then one guy pissing off another guy, and then suddenly it's like, oh, we're giving you permission to kill an entire race of people. That's kind of, like, what? You meet Some one Game of Thrones then, shit. Yeah, like, you meet one person and then you doom an entire race of people based on that one experience. That's, uh... Why does the king need 30 shekels of silver? He's the fucking king. That's gotta be, like, chump change to him, right? I know, like, it's like, I don't know, just give me some money, you know, like... That's, yeah, the whole, like... Oh, it just makes no sense. None whatsoever. It, it like, really uh, irritates me that we have the two books of the Bible named after women. Ruth is only applauded for her total obedience, and Esther is only applauded for her beauty. And I think that we had talked about this whole, like, Jezebel concept where, like, it's, like, you're either beautiful and a temptress and you, like, find favor in people. Like, so you're either beautiful or you're, like the most obedient wife type. It's also uh, kind of a weird book of the Bible because I, it doesn't really talk about God at all. It's all like political intrigue. And you know what I find? It just sounds, to me, it sounds like back in the day style reality television. Like it literally right. plays out like reality TV, just older. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's like The Bachelor. Like I they know. have to compete. And then, so and then he fell on her, and he walked in when he fell on her, and there's like, oh, now I'm going to murder you because you're a bad guy. You know, like even past the point where if we accept that the king for some reason can't rescind this order, and that the only option is for the Jews to defend themselves by killing their attackers. Why do you want an extra day, Esther? 
why yeah. do you want a, a whole nother day of murder? Like, what the fuck? That, yeah, I mean, what is her benefit out of that? Like, she was just doing some other person a favor, and then now she's like, oh, wait, no, I I, I think I'm into this. Like, some more people, <laughs> right. like... She like developed a see, taste for bloodlust, I guess. See how many murders my beauty can get me. Like, what the fuck? Uh, maybe it's just like bathing in the blood of thine enemies to make her beautiful, like Elizabeth Bathory bit. <laughs> right. And I'm surprised. Maybe they just never talked about Esther because it's such a weird story and like there's really no faith part to it at all like you said it's not really about god it's just like the story right and honestly i feel like the reason that it was preached about sometimes within the evangelical church is because it justifies kind of all of that political maneuvering where like Typically, you don't want religion in your politics, and now, like, that's a thing that the conservative right does, like, they have a political party that they support and have decided is good, and I think they like the brutality, honestly. Yeah, there's something about it that's, like, very visceral, and I guess I could understand, like, people who are like, oh, you know, an eye for an eye, you steal something, we chop your hand off, that whole, like, First Testament bit, I guess would like that, I, like, in the terms of, like, it's, it's entertaining in its, like, brutality and awfulness, like... At least in the evangelical church, we were really really militant like the idea was that at some point in our time christians would have to to rise up as a military force and like take back the government or something christian dominionism they call it i i'm trying to see like what sort of story is this supposed to tell women what are you trying to are you saying make sure to always be beautiful otherwise you could be you know like i was also when i was researching this i was thinking about when i was a teenager after columbine when the narrative became that as a teenager you should be willing to die for these beliefs because esther risks getting herself killed by going to the king and asking him this very yeah, weird that's a, that's a little extreme <laughs> yeah I mean, well like it was that whole she said yes narrative do you remember yeah. that uh, maybe i don't remember the the she said yes narrative we should have a separate episode about christian dominionism at some point but there was even a flyleaf song based on the she said yes really? story from columbine yeah i read the book uh, she said yes the unlikely martyrdom of cassie bernal so cassie bernal was one of the girls killed in Columbine. Um, there was another girl, I think her name was Rachel, that they attached this story to where the kill the killers asked her, do you believe in God? And she said yes, and then he shot her. Uh, which, first of all, didn't actually happen. Oh. That they were, they were just killed. They were two girls who had done nothing and were murdered by the Columbine shooters. Uh, there was a girl that they asked, do you still believe in God? And that girl said yes, and she was, like, sobbing and trying to crawl away. And for whatever reason, the guy just, like, left. And she was upset by the whole thing because she's like, 
I said I believed in God and God saved me. Is that not the narrative you want to put forth? Like you would rather encourage Christian martyrdom. That's even more complicated. Right. The fact that it never happened and they pushed a story that didn't happen when there was a girl who said yes and wasn't killed, like very strange. Why would they fabricate something when there is already something so compelling, you know? I mean, other than yeah. like the obvious story, like, oh, they want for people to have this sort of sense of martyrdom, like be willing to die for your beliefs, like don't die senselessly, like survive to do good in the world. I, I you know, that's that's just ugh. It was a thing in the in the youth group circles that like I traveled in. People would ask each other. Like, would you say yes? Would you say yes if someone held a gun to your head and asked you if you believed in God? Like, it wasn't traumatizing enough. And who knows what the correct answer is even supposed to be? Like, I don't know, I guess, like, if someone really does, if someone feels so strongly about religion and the afterlife, I, it's a terrible situation, a terrible thing to pose to people. So you shouldn't. Right. So as yes. well as being, like exploitative and pedantic where it's like obviously the choice that you are supposed to make within this construct is that you would die to profess your beliefs your belief in god and that's just not right like i'm i mean why die when you could live and do good that's that's my yeah i mean if like you're that passionate about it and survive so you can continue to talk about Jesus for the rest of your life. The whole, I, I always hear it from men, too, where it's just like, oh, I'd sacrifice myself for you, you know. I would do all these things, like, to prevent a terrible thing from happening, but they won't live in the present to prevent it, you know. Like, they, they want it to be this heroic way of dying rather than being, right. you know, living and contributing like, in a productive way in the present. Yeah, I feel like that's a common common theme, especially inside of just uh, teenage narratives and young adult fiction, where it's just like you have to die for your beliefs. and Yeah, and it is. It's so militant. And push children into this, which, like, to be honest, if you're a Christian kid, it's because your parents are Christian. Like, you didn't find that on your own. Right. Your parents brought you to church. And so to tell kids that they should be willing to die for these beliefs that were assigned to them by their parents in the first place, like, Jesus, fuck. Well, wouldn't that be, like, an admission that your parents were capable of wrong, you know? Like, and you're supposed to be so obedient to your parents that that in itself would be a sin. That's not really in the story except in the sense that uh esther risked getting killed by going to the king to ask him to not kill the jews and mordecai was like maybe you were put into this position for such a time as this which like you put her in that position yeah like you were the one who did this mordecai you were the one who like get glammed up so you can get hooked up with the king like she didn't have to be in this position at all i really want to have a conversation with someone from the jewish faith about purim would be really interesting like is it portrayed in a different way i'm i'm i can get the the wikipedia for purim 
Jewish holiday which commemorates the saving of the Jewish people from Haman, who was planning to kill all the Jews in the empire, as recounted in the book of Esther. So, so it's a just it's a celebration of Jewish deliverance festival thing, and the way they celebrate it, they have listed listening to the book of Esther in synagogue, sending food parcels, and giving charity, dressing up in costume, eating a festive meal, parties and parades, drinking alcoholic beverage, especially wine. In, in 2022, Purim is from sunset on March 16th to nightfall on March 17th. It just, it's a strange deliverance story, we'll just say that. Honestly, with as such a hard time as Jewish people have had, I'm just like, you know, let them have as many celebrations as they want. Yeah, I mean, as, as long as the... Like, I, but as it's long just, as the it's, celebration doesn't involve killing people, oh, like, yeah, who yeah. cares? It's, it's pretty far removed now from the actual Book of Esther. Just like the Book of Esther, like, based on, like, just the synopsis. From a modern understanding. Gave. Yeah. Like, especially right. for women. Like, I don't see how women could feel comfortable with that. It does seem that the modern scholarly view is that, that it was... Purim does not actually have a historical basis. They generally think that Ahasuerus is Xerxes I of Persia, Xerxes I, who could only marry a daughter of one of the six allies of his father Darius I, which, like, are these ruling families. Yeah, weird. I don't even know what sin to recommend for this one. <laughs> what to recommend? You don't owe the world attractiveness. Oh yeah, you don't owe the world being pretty. I guess be be gross and also don't obey your elders, maybe? I think more than anything, like, if someone puts themselves in a bad situation, don't feel like you're required to fix that situation at your own, not to your own benefit. Be, be disobedient, I guess. Like, the whole concept of, like, risking your life for the greater good is often a false narrative. Don't sacrifice live. yourself. Just live. Like, don't put yeah, yourself if you, in danger. If you die, that means that you're not going to be around to do good later. And who knows? There could have been an opportunity to save the Jewish people without her risking her life. But that was just, you know, suggestion of work. What a weird story. Such a weird story. I'm still kind of, like, processing it all. Like, lots of little pieces that are, just don't make sense. But, it is, uh, like, real Game of Thrones shit. It, yeah, definitely just, like, that shockingly violent and sexual in nature. Right? Like, yeah, okay, now we want another day. Mordecai was also the person who told her not to reveal that she was Jewish in the first place. Like, he tells her not to tell the king that she's Jewish, and then has this little, I guess, surprise trap sprung when it's politically convenient for her to reveal that she's Jewish. Yeah, and that could have not worked out well for her. Like, he could have just been like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, it sounds like you're going to die too then. Or maybe, maybe, if she had been up front like, oh, I'm Jewish, maybe the king would have been like... suggested it, yeah. 
yeah, the, the king would have been like, fuck, no, you can't pay me 30 shekels to kill all the Jews. My, my wife, wife is, is Jewish. Jewish. Yeah. I could just see this playing out in so many different ways. Like, I don't understand why they had to retaliate. Couldn't they just have, like, not killed anybody? Like, well, like the what? way that it's framed in the story is that, like, these people have already been ordered to kill the Jews, and so there's nothing the king can do about it for some reason, I, I, who knows why, and that the only defense is for the Jews to defend themselves against the attackers uh, by murdering them. But not taking their stuff. There's, like, all these little weird yeah. details, like, that must have significance. And if anyone who's listening, you know can weigh in on it i would i'd love to hear uh, hear that or definitely. just see if uh, anyone else has um like i can make any like... sense of it because <laughs> i just can't like i didn't find anything over the course of my research where i was like oh okay yeah i get it but like i don't i don't get it and then also it kind of speaks to this weird sense of ethics and morality in the church even still today where it's like We'll get down to these nitty-gritty details of like, well, yeah, but we're not going to take their stuff. Like, killed them. What does it matter? Like, you, you killed them. You murdered them. Is it, it somehow? Now. Yeah. At least, you can't take is it, it with better you. for some reason? <laughs> is it better for some reason that, they, that you're not taking their stuff? Like a weird materialism little bit, like, snuck in there. Some other like weird like morality bit. Yeah, we're not who we're the not fuck greedy. Knows? We just uh you know we just want to defend ourselves. I guess <sighs> I can't I can't quite fathom why that's as significant as they made it out to be. But anyway, yeah, like <laughs> weird. Weird. <laughs> Here's what I I will do. Uh, there's no there's no chosen one. You don't have to be the chosen one. You're only responsible for yourself. Yes, that that is the uh, sin piece of wisdom, the sindom <laughs> for tonight. <laughs> That's your little your little bit of cinnamon. The, the Bible, well, and, and we know that we know that already. But sometimes it still just strikes me at how wild it is. I wonder if there's a biblically accurate film adaptation because that oh, would be like absolutely wild i'm just imagining it's like jersey shore cast like just playing out what's going on inside of uh, esther okay so i did look at the media tab and there's a movie released in 1960 called esther and the king there's a movie released in 2006 called one night with the king and like there's like... a 2006 comedy film called for your consideration that has a film within a film device in which the fictitious film being produced is titled Home for Purim. It is about a Purim celebration. I'm curious about the one uh, from the 60s, because I could definitely see this being made into some sort of sexploitation film. Like, oh my god, we should do, we should do some reaction episodes. Oh yeah, we should watch some some of these like old Christian films or like the remakes or like the dramatizations of uh like the one f with Moses in it. That'd be great. Yeah, we should do that like the next time I come to visit you. That'd be great. Yeah, we'll do it. Anyways, I feel like we've Anyways. gone on a few tangents here, but thank 
but, uh, for listening to Eden's Apple Podcast. We'll catch you next time. Don't be shy. <laughs> Reach out to us on Instagram at Eden's Apple Podcast. Uh, Don't kill anyone. Don't kill anyone. Let's let's be reasonable <laughs> here. And uh, have a great rest of your night. Or Bye. Day. Bye. Hi, it's Editing Kim here again real quick. Just wanted to mention that as I was editing this episode, I realized there are so many layers to this story that I didn't even touch on in this recording. So Val and I are going to record a second episode on Esther, so you can look forward to that coming out whenever we get to it. Bye!